here we are, following on with our series of learning about leadership and authority and and things that the Lord wants us to understand in the context of his father heart for us. Yeah. In the family of God. And Ian led us last time in, in new pathways, new thinking that we'd be transformed in how we perceive what the Lord wants us to perceive about his kingdom government and his authority in that family father love context. So welcome Ian again. Just take us on. Thank on you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I felt it was one of the best discussion times we had uh, when we met last month. And um, so all I want to do is to share some perspectives on authority that will help us to dialogue, get involved in conversations, uh, maybe some things that uh, may be new to you. But what we want to do is to dig deeper, to understand the nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the nature of his life we have, and how we can express it to others, and uh, see the earth filled with his glory. So I thought a good place to start would be Genesis chapter 1, because I think that uh, this is the first time that God speaks about mankind. So it's Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, that's mankind, in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, mankind is absolutely unique in being the only one that is made in the image and likeness of God. And in being made in his image and likeness, we get to share in his nature. And we are given the responsibility of being his vice regents in the earth. He is the king of all the earth, but we are drawn into rulership and reigning with him in the earth. What I'd like to say right up front is that God gave authority to mankind to rule over the earth, but what he didn't do was to give Adam authority to reign over Eve. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. Each are equally and fully God. And he made man and woman in his likeness. There is actually no inferiority in woman to man. It's just she's an expression of femininity, whereas man is an expression of masculinity. And both are an expression of the nature of God. And just like the persons in the Godhead are equal, so man and woman are equal. There is no inferiority or superiority. This is the divine intention. What this does is to, that the largeness of God's plan that we rule the earth, I believe should refocus our attention away from 
focusing on church authority to actually kingdom authority, which includes the earth. And I think so often so much time has been taken up with church authority that we have missed the bigger picture that our authority is to the whole earth. Uh, and this is what Jesus did when he called the 12 to him. He called them that they may be with him. And then he sent them out to preach and to have authority over demons. So the authority in the earth is also authority over the demonic and and this is the realm for all those that are born of god it is to see heaven's realm come to earth okay let me say a second thing god in the new testament is described as agape god is love he's agape love which to me reaffirms that authority only ever works in agape if its authority is God intends. God's nature is agape. He is gentle and kind and good. And it's out of this kindness and goodness that his authority operates so that Jesus, who is the exact representation of the Father, says, come to me, all you weary, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the very nature of the Son, the exact representation of the Father. And there is no harshness in his authority. Again, I think we're all on a journey of discovering what does authority look like? if it's expressed through agape because that's the way god does it that's the way we're to do it not only in the church but in the kingdom which means it's to the earth that is the kindness of god that's going to lead to repentance it's the kindness of god in us the way we rule our lives in kindness and express that kindness that touches people's hearts and opens them up to receive what god is truly like okay here's another thought i'd like to throw in in the kingdom authority is for the benefit of others not myself sadly in society especially with political authority especially in recent times with the former president of the US and the former prime minister of the UK, there has been a huge dimension where the authority is for their benefit. And there is a lack of humility and a lack of submission in the way that they conduct themselves. And clearly, there are still outstanding tribunals and procedures for both men that they have to work through. And that's one of the reasons why in the kings of Israel, when they became kings, they had to take the scriptures and say, we will 
honor the scriptures because the scriptures are above every person. No, no person is above the scriptures. Otherwise, if that is the case, then people do things for their own benefit and it's not out of a serving heart and it's not for the benefit of others. And so I just want to read from uh, 2 Corinthians 10 here. And this is Paul talking about his own authority. This is what he says. But even if I bore somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Godly authority is never harsh. It's never overbearing. And it's never for the person who's carrying authority to put themselves before the person who's receiving it. Actually, the authority is always for the benefit of those that are receiving it. So Paul would go through incredible hardships. He talks about the shipwrecks, the stonings that he's been through. And this was all for the benefit of the churches that he was working in. He put their lives before his own. And this is true, certainly apostolic leadership and apostolic authority, where to the Thessalonians, he calls himself a mother and a father. And that word for mother is a nursing mother who's just had a child. There's so much tenderness and compassion. And the fathering, of course, true fathers always want more for their kids than they had for themselves. Yeah. That's why they sacrifice and lay down their lives. Yeah. This is to be the way that authority is dispensed, not only in our own homes, but in the household of faith, the Church of Christ. Okay, here's my next thing I want to say, is that submitting to one another is a lifestyle in the kingdom. It's not one-way submission. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's Ephesians 5, 21. And I believe the reason that is said to us is because mutual submission is in the nature of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit submit to one another. So Jesus submits to the Father when he says, not my will, but your will be done. And of course, the Spirit submits because Jesus said he is not going to speak on his own initiative, but he will take the things that are mine and reveal it to you. So even though the Holy Spirit is fully God, he doesn't compose his own discussion. He actually takes that which is Christ and reveals it. And what I find stunning is that the Father himself gives all judgment to the Son. That's what Jesus says. The Father gives all judgment to the Son and completely trusts the son to make righteous and correct judgment never takes it back to himself he will judge the world one day in the son that he has sent according to acts it's all going to be that jesus is going to be the judge and so 
Jesus, of course, never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. So in him saying, submit to one another, as is recorded in Ephesians, he's simply expecting us to practice corporately with one another what the very life of God is where they submit to one another. And I believe that submitting to one another in the charismatic movement generally was a lost jewel. It started with people submitting to leaders, yeah. but it's predicated on everybody submitting to everyone else so that there is equality and mutuality of submission. I believe God wants to restore this back to the church because this is how family works, his family, and this is how his family on earth is to work. That's why I am so opposed to hierarchy, which permits one-way submission. You have to submit to me, but I don't submit to others. I don't believe that is anywhere to be found in the kingdom that is to do with the Roman Empire and the hierarchy that existed there. Okay, let me just say this one, which I think really speaks to our generation. Jesus exercises his authority through serving and sacrifice. He says, um, I don't do it like the Gentiles do it because they like to lord it over. But I'm among you as one who serves and I give my life as a ransom for many. So service and sacrifice is the way that Jesus does it. And then John says, if he lay down his life for us, we to lay down our lives for one another. So this service and sacrifice is to be our way of living because this is how he's treated us. Where I think this is a huge challenge to our generation is that we have a, a whole generation of people that have grown up on a diet of human rights. And people are right-based in their mentality and in their understanding. It is my right. Whereas in the kingdom, if we've given up everything for Jesus, in truth, I don't have rights. What I have is a responsibility to live as he lives yeah. and to give my life and to lay down my life for the benefit of others. So I think that this sacrifice and serving as a way of exercising authority is a real challenge to folks that have grown up with the human rights. This is my right perspective. And the kingdom challenges it face on that this is not how God intended us to live. And then finally, I just want to recap on what I was saying last time to say headship as I see it in the New Testament is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, 
I do not see headship as authority over. Because that is not how the Greek language understood it. Headship in the Greek language is all about empowerment, support, and the giving of life. So in the, in the Greek mindset, our natural head was seen to be the center of activity that empowered our whole body to function. I think that's a very perceptive viewpoint. What's more, when it's used metaphorically, it's always used from an empowerment and never an authority over. So a spring, that is the source of a stream, is called the head of the stream. The spring does not have authority over the stream. The spring contributes to making the stream what it does and empowers it. In the same way, the bow or the prow of a boat is the kafale, the head, that which gives the ability of the fullness of the boat to traverse the water. It empowers the boat to function as it is intended. And so having grown up in a church setting with strong hierarchical perspectives, with the sense that headship was authority over, these last 20 years plus journey has made me realize that is untenable in terms of the linguistics of the Greek language and headship is all about empowerment, support, the impartation of life and the releasing of people to function. So there we go. Here's some pointers, perspectives on authority that we can open up and talk about. Disagree if you want, but less of a conversation and discussion. Thank you, Ian. So open it up for questions, discussion. I'd like to start off because I was just looking up Genesis 3, 16 to 17, um, where the Lord says to Adam, or God says to Adam, because you listen to your wife, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So what does that mean? So. I believe that so often we've started there in an attempt to establish something as if it were a creational principle. But actually Genesis 1 and 2, which is pre-fall, comes before Genesis 3, which is the consequences of the fall. And just because there is clearly a declaration of pain and judgment on Satan, on Adam and Eve, does not mean to say that that is the way God wants it to be ad finitum. Hence, he gives a new covenant with better promises, because through a new covenant, 
that which was lost can be more than restored. And so I wouldn't see the consequences of the fall as being anything to do with the primary intention of God's creative order. Thank you. Let's open it up. So can I ask, what does it actually mean? Does the word submit mean in the Bible? You're asking, asking you, yeah. <laughs> it literally means to stand under. And uh, the meaning is uh, one of taking a lower place, but it's not forced. It's one that is voluntary taken. It is a position of humility. And it's a position of being a servant. So this is what Christ did, that although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a man and being as a man he then humbled himself to death which was death on a cross so here is this standing lower coming underneath in order to serve and actually in the end in order to release the fullness of god's intention and the truth is the father's involved too because god was in Christ reconciling the world to himself at the cross. He wasn't detached. He wasn't uh, an observer. He himself, because he is humble, he was humbling himself in Christ to reconcile man to himself. I remember John Noble. Um, I mean, we were party to him and Christine they were at the front and me and Christine were driving at the back and um, <laughs> neither of them held back. But the bottom line is Christine would always, in the end, defer to John, as powerful as she was. And something that John said that reminded me of that was that he could only read one half of the verse submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Hmm. I wonder what that would look like as a Christian family <clears throat> submitting to one another. You will not see anything like it in the world. Absolutely. But then again, the challenge is that small phrase, in the fear of the Lord. Sure. So that's the challenge for me, certainly. Yeah. To, to grow in that fear of the Lord. Sure. And that is a heart's desire, so I'm sure it is for you. Um, and, you know, to fulfill the conditions of normal family life in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord. In the Old Testament, I mean, you've. you've given us such an amazing yeah, explanation good. it's hard to find any questions really yeah. but we're trying hard <laughs> we? hard yeah um in the bible um a lot of prophets and and kings are anointed and they're anointed for purpose yeah. um 
So how do you see the link between anointing and authority? Because clearly when someone's anointed to do a job, they're given the authority to do that job and do that role, be it in the world situation or in a, in a church situation. Sure. Well, well, let's take Christ because he's the perfect example. We can come back to the Old Testament. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. So he had this anointing but it was never used in a brutish, authoritarian, or um, being harshly legalistic over somebody else. He, in heart, was a servant, and he came to sacrifice his life, to give his life as a ransom. So that humility of heart is just his very nature i that's that's why i read uh, matthew 11 it's just stunning to me where he says come to me because i am gentle and mm. humble in heart you will find rest for your souls um my heart's desire is that i am learning to develop that that people will find me a safe place and find rest for their souls in my presence that they don't experience, oh, we've got to watch our P's and Q's here because we don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in. But but actually, we'll find a peace because I, I want to carry peace. We'll find a place of safety because of my love for them. And I'm not saying that I'm fully there yet by any means, but this is my desire to grow in this. My desire is that the people of God will so grow in it that society that doesn't know where to turn will find among the community of Christ the safest place they possibly can because the nature of Christ is represented among them. So it it. It is effective anointing, but it's it's always mediated through a, a humble, contrite, and gentle heart. And I, I, I think that looking to Christ is the perfect example because the Old Testament is the shadow, Christ is the substance. Mm. Yep. Thank you, Ian. Very good. Mm. Mm. I like Maybe. the idea of this um of empowering and releasing yeah. people. I think that's I think that's at the heart of so much of what we do. And, and it's you know it's really good that you've just brought that out. Thank you. Clarified it. Yeah. And and you know, I'm I'm constantly challenged by Jesus, as we all are. Um so on the on the night of the Last Supper, it says knowing that he came from God mm. and that he was going back to God. He took off his outer garment mm. and picked up the towel and bent over and washed his disciples' feet. Mm. And he was so secure in his identity that he could serve anybody. Mm. Yeah. To me, that's true leadership. Even Judas. Yep. 
And the more secure we are, the lower we're prepared to go. I'm still on the journey. In reading Acts and, and Paul and, and all the, the challenges he had when he went to different places and was disciplining them. Is that judgment or how does how does the discipline and some of the discipline was harsh words. So there is authority and there is leadership and there is submission. So how do we walk through that? You know, or we could say, oh, well, then we'll all submit to one another. So mm. in one sense, there are times when people have to make tough decisions. How does that fit into this context? Because we might have experience in the past of someone having authority over us with a harsh judgment, but there mm -hmm. still needs to be discipline, I suppose, is what I'm saying. How does that work? And, and boundaries. And boundaries. Yeah. And so I'm not taking anything away from, you know, what we know is the Ephesians 4 ministry, that God has given grace to certain people. And uh, with grace giftings. However, I would say it has to be in grace. <laughs> the, the truth is spoken in love. They're, they're, they never abandon their grace gifting, but what they say is in the context of grace, just like truth should be in the context of love. And yeah, I, I'm I'm very grateful to people in my life and my own spiritual father in particular for straight talking with me because um, the, the writer to the Hebrews says that uh, if we are without discipline, then we're illegitimate. And so this is what fathers do. They discipline. This is what mothers do. They discipline. They and, and they establish where boundary lines are. And they are willing to go through the pain of a disciplinary process for the redemption of a child that they love and want to bring into wholeness. And that's why leadership is a tough job, because you you don't get to be nice to people all the time. And God has placed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, on it goes, on it goes, because these people can, in the grace that they've got, are enabled to speak words of truth to help the body of Christ grow up and not for it just to be on a merry-go-round of immaturity that doesn't lead to Christ-like stature. Any more to like to add? Mm. Well, I have another question. Is I've asked what does submit mean scripturally? What does discipline, the word discipline, because if you look it up in a in a dictionary, it talks about training. So yeah. And I think that's a really good word in English to train. It's not to necessarily chastise, it's not to bring judgment, discipline is to train somebody to do it right. And so even the Lord in Psalm 23, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he wants to train us 
to choose the righteous things and the righteous paths in life. And of course, he walks with us in the process. This is why um, having somebody to walk alongside you, uh, just like they yoked the mature ox with the young ox so that the young ox would learn the rhythm of paths that the old ox had learned to plow in and walk in. So how do we unpack that in a rights-based community and life? I mean, our children are very rights-orientated. So some of this language and some of these ideas would be quite hard to to introduce with them to talk with them about because it's coming at things from a place even though it's in love and grace it's their right <laughs> and it True. goes back to you know so how in a rights-based world do we help others find this growth community and I believe, just like in the first century, that the preaching of the cross was an offence. There has to be a return of the preaching of the cross, death to self, so that we can embrace the resurrection life of Christ. And unless death happens, there is no resurrection life. And... In a rights-based society, death and sacrifice don't even figure. But in the gospel, everything is predicated on death to self and alive to God. And yet that isn't even the church culture that we've been in for the last 50 or maybe ever maybe the early church it's mm -hmm. this human nature resists that yeah so taking Helen's question on from a rights-based world how 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 do you see that this message this truth not message can impact the western church which is hierarchical, which is based on structure, political, religious concept. I think that um, those that are clearly born of the Lord and have the Lordship of Christ in their lives must express this. What I think is so interesting right now is that there's a ton of people from outside of our nation who receive the gospel from us, like Africans, like people from elsewhere in the world, that have this passion to come back to this country, believing that they want to bring the gospel back to the place that originally they received it from, and it's now lost its way, and they want to bring it back. And because some of these people have been through real hardships and some have been converted from Islam into Christ and have been radically saved, embracing the cross and a, and a laid down life, they are now ready to give their lives 
to bring the gospel to the country in a way that those that have been brought up in a rights-based mentality have not been doing. Mm. Mm. But do we not find that they quickly also become hierarchical and rights-based? I'm personally, I'm finding that is less so with them. I'm I'm finding a radical um, cutting edge of wanting to bring kingdom perspective into this country. And what they do, I have to say, I take my hat off to them for the way in which they will front things up because they've learned to do it in the environments where they're at because they see the the conflict of the kingdoms between light and darkness and because sometimes we've grown up in it and are not used to it we don't see it as clearly as they do and so they say how can you stand for this because we've grown up in a pluralistic society where your opinion is as good as mine and they're going this is what the lord wants and for me it challenges me because sometimes I realize I too have been affected by this culture in which we've grown up. So that we are elevating the interests of Christ above every other interest. And of course, many voices in the Church of England now are, are rising up and, sure. yeah, and choosing, choosing to preach the gospel. Yeah, for sure. But I sense it's a, a tipping point coming where believers will see, actually, we've believed a lie. It's time to be resolute. It's time to be fearless in our hearts and to live the life of the coming age now and represent heaven's kingdom rather than imbibing a, a kind of lifestyle that is at best not founded in scripture, at worst, can have demonic origins. And the fivefold, how do they fit? <clears throat> well, clearly, they are there to lay down their lives for the equipping of the saints, for them to come to the maturity so that the church actually becomes a glorious body that is bringing heaven's realm into the earth. And in the midst of hostility, that we choosing to overcome evil with good. So that we are not getting all stressed out and reverting to flesh, to fight flesh. We're actually maybe hurting because of the reactions of people to us. But what we're doing is seeking to be healed by love and restored by love so that we can overcome evil, uh, can, can overcome evil with good. Thanks, Ian. Mm. And this is Paul's life. You know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. This is the challenge of leadership. It's not going to be hunky-dory and comfy. It's going to be challenging. And so that our lives become a, uh, an example for others to follow. Could I, could I just, just add to what you were sharing earlier, Ian, about the importance of um, authority being handled with humility? Because I think that really is a key 
to having a, a word or something to share or say to people that they they sense you're not lording it over them or you're not coming with a, a mantra that you must do this or that. And I was particularly struck by that this week, listening to students talking with the, the new vicar of HTB about the Asbury outpouring and uh, how that was totally unauthorised in the sense of it wasn't authority led. It was entirely the students themselves. Nobody was trying to exercise authority in a wrong way at all. Uh, and it was marked out, these students were saying, by a genuine humility and a desire to repent, get right with God and live life in community that actually meant something yeah. <laughs> uh, and to stand against what, what uh, Helen mentioned a moment ago about the issue of rights. And just to chip in, I was also really blessed the other day to hear or to read uh, Kate Forbes, the SNP uh, candidate for the leadership of the SNP, who's really come stood out as a Christian That's and did an interview a couple of days ago about where she was coming from and how if you are a person of principle and leadership, uh, it's got to be true to your values and, and not be caught up with the culture of the day. Uh, and, and I feel freshly inspired, not by just what you've said, Ian, but there are those around who are willing to stand up now and speak. Absolutely. And the tide is turning, Rich. I believe it is. 20 years ago, when asked the question about God, Tony Blair's right-hand man, Campbell, said, we don't do God. <laughs> Yeah, we did. And then within the last five years, the Liberal Democrats leader resigned because he says it's impossible to be a Christian and a politician. Yeah. But there's this turning of the tide where politics itself is seen to be bankrupt and is not providing what the country needs. And now is the time for people of righteousness and truth and love and grace to arise and emerge that carry a different heart and a different way of doing things. And there have been meetings, haven't there, nationally between Christian leaders and Christian politicians, which uh, I've heard a bit about, and I, I feel very encouraged by that, exactly what you just said, Ian. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you, Ian. Very good. That was wonderful. I'd just like to finish with something. I, I think I mentioned the other day that I heard this uh, apostolic leader in Denmark speaking on what it is to be apostolic. And he said something that really impressed me, but Ian's added to it. So what this man was saying, he sees the apostolic uh, like God's provision in nature. And God's, God create, God's creation always has protection built within it. So a plant will have protection with leaves so there's always a protective element in the creation and he said he sees the apostolic as being a protection in the body of Christ and then Ian I'll let you add what your your other perspective of that is yes it's protection but uh, but that's for me only half the story because what authority is there to do whether it's parental or spiritual is not only to protect where you have responsibility, but it's to release what you have so that it goes further and becomes greater than you. Yeah. So there is all there's protection and release. 
And these two things are diametrically opposed, of course, because um, you must know when you do one thing and when you do the other. And that's why a relationship with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential because he has the wisdom to know when is the time to protect and when is the time to release. And what we don't want are people in perpetual protection. We want them released into the fullness of what God has meant them to be. And true authority eventually fully releases those that have been in their care and protection. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful words to finish on. So thank you, Ian, very much. Thank you, everyone. Mm.